Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with a global multi-stakeholder community representing national and local governments, international policymakers, civil society, NGOs, the ICT industry, as well as other relevant organizations and institutes. Hello, I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted to have a conversation with Prahab Agarwal. Uh, Prabhat has been with the European Commission for over 14 years, and he's the head of the unit for digital services and platforms. And one of the key uh, talks of this uh, platform is working on and designing the Digital Services Act. So uh, Prabhat, uh, we're honored to have you uh, in this Ifra'ala Dialogues. Welcome. Hi, Fritz, and, and thanks for having me. Yes. Hey, uh, Prabhat, let's first start off the Digital Services Act. Uh, it's been talked about, it's in the news, but for those of you who haven't heard of it before, what is this about? Yeah, thanks, Fritz. Um, Digital Services Act is, is a, a major initiative of the European Commission, which was launched in October 2020 together with a, a range of other digital initiatives to uh, lay down new rules for, uh, for platforms, basically, um, um, when it comes to how they moderate content on their um, platforms, how they respond to illegal content, and um, how, how to regulate basically the societal impact that they have and a broad range of issues. And it's a new framework that we're proposing for the European Union, a common framework, a set of rules. And, um, and it has been described also uh, by us and by others as a new um, transparency and accountability framework. So it fits the conversation today very well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. So uh, could you go into what triggered uh, people to come up with the need for this new act? Yeah. What was happening that we needed to have this act? So a lot of stuff was happening, I think, um, and, and, uh, and a lot of stuff still continues to, to happen. I think uh, the news just recently about uh, a whistleblower in, from Facebook has uh, been made front page news. Uh, but there have been problems um, that have been unaddressed for a, a long period of time. I mean, there's uh, um, concerns about um, illegal hate speech on um, platforms, unsafe products on marketplaces. There's a lot of concern, and we've seen it during, during the COVID crisis on, uh, on, on disinformation on online platforms and, and the impact that they can have. People have been talking about the surveillance-based advertising model of of digital platforms. So it's, there's a really a big range of different issues that have to do with um, broadly um, what we call online platforms or digital intermediaries. And so maybe the key point about digital intermediaries is that those are services like, of course, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, just to name a few uh, um, that um, don't produce content themselves, uh, but they intermediate content uh, um, from others or eBay as a marketplace is also such an example it doesn't sell its own stuff but uh, it, it allows uh, um, traders or, or consumers to, um, to, to sell their own things to others and so this basic model where um, uh, a digital platform intermediates so is a kind of in between between on the one hand uh, a lot of consumers and on the other hand a lot of businesses you know this is one of the of the key um, business models that's shaping our economy and our society and and the main trigger was 
that um, that we need updated rules, updated rules that uh, take the uh, significance of these uh, digital business models in, um, into account and make uh, rules that are fit for today's uh, challenges in society and our economy. Okay, got that. Now, uh, you just named a couple of examples of those platforms. There's two observations. Uh, first of all, you named Facebook, you named uh, face, um, uh, Twitter, uh, eBay. So uh, it's just a coincidence, these are all American platforms. So that's one question. And the second question tied into that, there are much, much more platforms out there. So uh, does it apply for everybody or uh, do you discriminate there? Yeah, great question. So we have about um, 10,000 um, platforms in the European Union, according to our data at the moment. Uh, and, and the vast majority, 90% plus are European platforms and they're in the early stages innovators. A lot of them are niche platforms or local platforms. Uh, a lot of them are in the startup phase and, and so on. You know, So that's one part of the landscape uh, and um, in, in the European Union. And then it's true that you have a very small number of platforms that have an enormous reach in, um, in basically everybody uses, uh, um, you know, the, the, the services by some of the the very large online platforms, as we call them, or gatekeepers, we call them sometimes also when the Digital Markets Act, and they um, are uh, particular because they have um, they reach very deep into the population. So they have uh, user numbers that sometimes reach 80, 90 percent of of the EU's population. At the same time, they often have also enormous financial and technological resources. So, mm -hmm. so the landscape of platforms in the European Union is quite diverse. Huh? So we have this uh, very, uh, um, very rich, in, innovative landscape for small uh, innovators, uh, and they, many of them will um, grow and scale up, hopefully. And but they also need uniform rules in the, in the European Union. And if every country makes their own rules, it's very hard for uh, an, an innovative company to to grow inside the market because what they want to do is of course the reasons why a lot of one of the main reasons why a lot of um, platforms emerge from the US and from also from China now like TikTok uh, and, and is because they have very large domestic markets that they can grow in and these are very uniform so um, to answer your question we're not discriminating our um, against anyone our, our rules are tailored to the um, to the societal risk, to the impact and the importance that a particular service has. So our rules are quite uh, graduated. So we have a, a low level of um, responsibilities for everyone. That, but but we do think that we need some basic minimum rules for everyone. And then we have a catalog that is more extensive um, for the the biggest ones. And and the basic philosophy there is that those who have broad shoulders need to share and bear a bigger sh share of the societal responsibilities. And they have some of these countries, of course, some of these countries have, of course, also very big means. Huh? Yeah. No, so that, we're not. That's true. Yeah. We're not picking a country. Let me just be very clear about that. You know, the uh, we there's no. Uh, the headquarters, it doesn't matter. What matters is how many users are, do you reach in the European Union? This is one of the key parameters uh, that, uh, that triggers one or the other obligation. Uh, got that. Now, it's good to get that message across and make that clear. Now, this also reminds me of what kind of legislation we introduced in the early days of the Internet. So the uh, United States introduced the Communications Decency Act in uh, 1996. A couple of years later, European Directive in 2000 established a safe haven for hosting providers. Basically, 
stating, hey, they're not responsible for content. And now you're coming up with a legislation, you are responsible. Is that the way I should uh, inter interpret it, this? I think it's, it's a bit um, more nuanced than what you're discussing. So what we're saying is that um, the, the basic principles of the Communications Decency Act and the e-commerce directive um, uh, providing, as you say, a safe harbor for, for liability. That means that uh, if you um, post something on, on Twitter, mm -hmm. um, Twitter is not uh, liable for what you are saying uh, in, in, on, on their platform. In, there's one big difference between the US and the e EU is that in, in the United States, this, this uh, um, so-called safe harbor is almost unconditional. I mean, in, 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 in the European Union, even since 2000, there have been, it's a bit different, the system. So for example, Twitter can be liable if they, if they are made aware that, for example, somebody is posting hate speech on their platform and they're not doing anything about that. Um, then, then, then they can be made uh, um, liable. They can expose themselves uh, to liability. So the rules in the European Union have always been quite different from the ones in the in in the US. Although the two are often compared and and mentioned in the same things, but um, the safe harbor in the European Union has always been known as what is known as a conditional safe harbor. And and some some experts describe the US system as an unconditional safe harbor. So this is already a big difference. But what we're doing in the Digital Services Act goes way beyond this. And what we're saying is, um, in, irrespective of the safe harbor, you have a societal responsibility as a platform to have um, certain basic mechanisms in place. And one analogy that I use a lot is that, um, is that of a concert hall. You know, we expect a concert hall to um, have fire extinguishers, fire exits, um, you know, alarm buttons in place, you know, and there needs to be yeah. some basic rules for, for to, um, you know, so that the police can access if there's something going wrong and so on, but we're not dictating what, what kind of music people can play in the concert hall, you know. So uh, the rules in the Digital Services Act can be thought of as being the fire extinguishers and the alarm buttons and the emergency exits um, for the digital um, sphere, you know, that's, that's what we're putting um, in there. And of course, if, uh, um, if there's a, a concert and maybe people start a fight in the concert and some people get injured, of course, in the concert hall, um, you wouldn't make the operator of the concert hall immediately liable or, or sue them for somebody getting injured in a, in a brawl. Uh, but you would check, you know, were all the safety measures in place or not. So this is a better way of thinking about the Digital Services Act. You know, the responsibility of the provider is primarily to ensure a safe environment, making sure that they have them. So, of course, this is a, a bit basic analogy and the, the rules that we have in the Digital Services Act, are of course, much more sophisticated and they're also tailored to the size. But this, this kind of tries to bring home um, the distinction between responsibility and liability in, uh, in, 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 in the online platform sphere that we have tried to use uh, uh, as a concept for the Digital Services Act. Great uh, metaphor. I mean, this this uh, hits at home of what this whole act is about, the whole concert hall uh, model. I, I like that. Uh, does make me think, I'm going to um, read back a quote of you, which you've done earlier this year. It's no longer acceptable in our view that platforms take some key decisions by themselves alone, without any supervision, without any accountability. Uh, so without any sort of dialogue or transparency. Now, you made this statement, um, and in the context of, um, say, 
taking key figures, uh, global figures offline of social media. And that's a decision by a particular organization. Why did you make that statement? Because I, I have a question behind that. Well, um, the context uh, of that statement was that, um, that there was reasonable um, concern um, that we share that um, platforms are policing their own terms and conditions um, very selectively. Uh, and 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 that that continues to be a concern um, that that we have. And one of the rules that we have put into the Digital Services Act is that um, when you have house rules, so terms and conditions are basically like your house rules. Um, then say what these rules are, and mm -hmm. then so say what you do and do what you say, and then be diligent about implementing them. And, and uh, when I made that comment that you just quoted, you know, it was on the back of a suspicion that there was very, um, you know, uh, uh, arbitrary enforcement of, of, of the rules um, that, uh, that were dictating what happens on a particular um, very large platform. So, so what I meant to say was, and what the idea behind it was that we need some kind of basic framework uh, that um, first of all, um, sets down, gives a, a, a meaningful set, set of rules and, and a basic requirement that these rules are real rules and not, they cannot be changed all the time arbitrarily or in selectively enforced. And so some kind of diligence requirements about these rules. Secondly, what, I, sorry. Okay, okay, secondly, go ahead. Yeah. secondly, what I, I meant is that we needed a basic set of transparency about what kind of decisions are being taken uh, on the basis of these rules, and 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 these and this trend, and then a supervision needs to be in place uh, on whether this is really happening according to the rules or not. And this is um, the framework, roughly speaking, uh, of um, of what we of, of what we're trying to do in the Digital Services Act. Okay, I think I got it. Just to be clear, so that means organizations can still define their own house rules. But your point is, when you have your own house rules, make certain you apply them um, uh, consistently and exactly. you not abuse your own rules uh, hmm. to actually uh, do politics through those rules. That's exactly right. We also, another way of um, saying the same thing is also that, that the GSA takes a systems approach. We're yeah. less concerned about individual items of content or content decisions uh, because, uh, first of all, there are many, and on the very large online platforms, there are many billions of items uploaded and, and, mm -hmm. and, and processed every day. There, there are mechanisms platforms have in place, and we can argue whether these mechanisms are working well or not. In some cases, they're clearly not working very well. In other cases, we have indications that they're working quite well. But this is not the point. The point is we want to have a, a supervision of the systems that uh, platforms have, the, systema the systematic aspects, rather than being concerned about individual content items, how are you organizing your services? And that's where we believe that we need a kind of regulatory oversight. And of course, uh, this regulatory oversight needs to respect users' fundamental rights. Mm -hmm. But it is, um, it is that, um, that kind of supervision uh, and regulatory oversight that, that we want to put in place with the Digital Services Act. Uh, and it is, and, and part of that is, are you consistent? Are you diligent in apl applying your rules? Do you have working fire extinguishers? <laughs> are you checking them? 
you know, and, and we have many other rules. I won't go into the details, but so, but so the supervisory mechanism and the accountability mechanism is, is less concerned with individual content decisions. Of course, a lot of individual content decisions make the news and the headlines, you know, whether it's over removal or under removal or amplification of content, you know, the, every day there will be something um, that, 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 that uh, deserves our attention. But the supervisory mechanism that we've put into the Digital Services Act looks as the whole, at, at the whole system. You know, are you systematically removing too much content or not removing enough? You know, in, not just in individual cases. Are you systematically amplifying illegal content? These are the kind of questions that we are asking and that we want supervised. Okay, let me follow up on the metaphor, uh, just to be sure, because I, I, I like to understand how it actually going to execute uh, in practice. Because uh, uh, if you are the owner of a concert hall, uh, every now and then you get a physical inspection. Somebody's going to come to your venue and it's going to look, hey, is the fire extinguisher there? And when was it last controlled? And you get a certificate. So it's a laborious act, activity to check on that. What type of uh, solutions, tools, support technology uh, are you going to do that in the digital age? Because as, as you just mentioned, there's so much information out there. So how can actually um, do those checks? How can you uphold uh, the act? That's the question. So um, there, that's a great question, Fritz. Um, so. Um, there are kind of a number of levers uh, that we have. Um, so, and, and, and this comes into, we're going into a bit more detail now. Mm -hmm. uh, a very important lever is, um, is uh, complaints by users. You know, so users will have completely new rights, for example, to uh, inform uh, uh, regulators, but also civil society actors or, or consumer organizations, you know, to say, hey, there's something going wrong, you know? And, and so uh, these, are, these are completely new rights uh, that don't exist today. You know, to say, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm experiencing something here on this uh, on on this platform. So it, uh, this this is in in line with one of the key principles of the Digital Services Act to help user empowerment. It's not only about government action. It's not only about what platforms are doing. It's also to give users tools Good. to uh, um, to be. And so, and and we are also giving users a lot more new tools to understand um, what's happening exactly. For example, if their content is removed or if they complain about, uh, content, then there is much more information about how this is processed. Some companies are already doing it. I don't know if on YouTube, we've already experienced a content takedown, just to mm -hmm. give one example, you know, there's a I whole have, process yeah. about, there's a whole process about what's going on, how you can oppose it. And, and some of the rules in the digital services act are kind of basically inspired by those kind of best practices, but probably taking them a bit further now and um, and making them that's one element the second element is that we're giving completely new tools to other actors that are very important in this e ecosystem civil society investigative journalists academic researchers you know we're giving them new, new tools to to kind of inspect what's going on inside the, the the platforms for example there's an article on data access for researchers you know researchers can ask um, uh, provided they meet certain criteria, you know, I want to understand how this content um, uh, recommendation system functions and they can inspect this. This is a completely new right. They can look under the hood, but this is not for you and me, Fritz. This is really for experts in the field, you know, who are, who are really kind of um, scrutinizing these things. So that's complete. And these, so we're giving a lot of new tools to, to, to those experts, you know, academics or civil society experts, also through very extensive transparency reporting, 
that are aimed as excellent. They knew data, public databases about all of content decisions that are being taken. They can be data mined and they can be analyzed. That's the second element. And the third one, most powerful perhaps, is that we're giving regulators new tools, um, including inspection of databases. And, and it's very similar to the inspections of the fire extinguishers yeah. that you mentioned. You know, uh, we're giving them new tools to order interim measures, take interviews with people who are, if they suspect that something is being breached, a rule is being breached, you know, they have rules that are very similar to antitrust investigations that we are carrying out today. So those are the three things, user empowerment, you know, civil society and, and uh, um, expert and, and researcher empowerment, and then regulatory oversight. Okay, now I got a question. I mean, um, I love the completeness, uh, completeness of the, the offering. Uh, I can understand how you're going to communicate to the experts and to civil society because that was relatively easy to identify who you need to reach out to. But are there any plans from the, from the commission to make people aware of their new rights? Sure. Uh, that's a very important point, uh, Fritz. I mean, first of all, uh, I have to say that in the normal legislative proposal process that we're in right now in, in where we are, the rules have not been finalized because they are still subject to scrutiny and, and markups by the European Parliament, by the European Council, the member states, they all, this is all going on right now. So um, we don't yet know what the final shape is uh, of the whole catalog of obligations. And this is part of the democratic process and, and is being scrutinized right now. Now, when these rules are finalized, and I think you are right, uh, there will be a transition period typically in European law when the, between the law, when it has been agreed and when it starts applying. Um, we don't know exactly what the transition period will be. But in that period, we will certainly make uh, awareness raising campaigns and we, okay. will, um, we will help people understand their new rights. And, um, and so that when, before the rules come into, into force and, and start applying, that, uh, that citizens are aware and, and the system works well, because okay. this is a very important you, element, but we are not you, there yet. Okay, are you able to give us any ballpark figure on an estimate when this could happen? So, uh, the, you know, we have in, in the European Union, we have this rotating presidency uh, and uh, at the moment it's the Slovenian uh, um, uh, presidency and from yeah. January it will be the French presidency and, and the ministers have, an, have announced their intention to conclude the negotiations in the first half of 2022 um, and then typically transition periods are, are um, you know, anything between three and 12 months. This is all still subject to negotiations. Of course, there are people like, including the yeah. commission who want that transition period to be fast. Uh, and others who member states, typically they say, we need a bit of time to get ready, to get a regulator staffed, to recruit experts, you know, to, uh, to do all this work. Um, so we need a bit more time. This is still, uh, so I would say that you would see these rules optimistically, you know, um, coming online in the early 2023. I think that's a realistic uh, estimate. Okay. Good, so that's something to look out for. Um, actually, I have two more questions for uh, Prabhat, or more, more one observation, because this whole idea, um, this whole act very much reminds me of the, the GDPR. And uh, why I wanna bring that up is, uh, as you mentioned, this is written for uh, the, the, the members uh, of the European Commission itself just like the GDPR, but it had a global impact. It, uh, I mean, um, 
when GDPR was just announced, I had the opportunity to visit uh, New Zealand and in Australia. And I was amazed to see, and I got the feedback from Japan as well, to see that these countries are looking at, they were looking at the GDPR. They want to see how can I use it, copy it? How can we, uh, and as if it's uh, affecting us. So um, do you have any thoughts on the Digital Services Act to go beyond, uh, you could say, the boundaries of Europe? Uh, yeah, Fritz, I mean, we, I can confirm there has been a lot of interest from other trading partners in the Digital Services Act. There continues to be a, a lot of interest and in, in, uh, we have many um, presentations with partners around the world. Uh, including the United States, by the way, now in the Trade and Technology Council. Um, you know, I, I think um, I would say that it's a great piece of law, so because I was part of constructing it, so maybe that I'm not the best judge of the situation. I do think for for the the world needs a framework for 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 these uh, for for these platforms. I think one thing that is particularly important in our framework is that we have been very careful in balancing um, fundamental rights as well. This is a really core value of the European Union. We don't want to limit freedom of expression. Uh, we don't want to limit users' rights. At the same time, we want, to, um, we want people to be safer on, in the online space. So uh, um, that combination is, is, is very important. And I think it reflects European values. And so um, I, I'm, I'm very keen that if other people look at what we have been doing in the European Union on the Digital Services Act, that they recognize the balance that we try to strike between these, these two uh, um, objectives and, and that, that, that people might feel inspired to strike a similar balance because, um, because we should not, uh, if you go too far in one direction, um, then, uh, um, then you either expose people to um, to, to safety concerns, or you take people's speech rights away, which, and we don't want any, either of these two things. But in the Digital Services Act, I, I hope we've, we've, uh, we've got the balance right. I also think it's the first global framework that, that, that tries to strike this um, ba balance. Um, so global meaning by more than one country in this particular case, or regional, I should say. And so it has potential to inspire others, hopefully. And, and we are very open to these conversations. Okay, well, it's going to be very interesting to watch what's going to happen. And as you mentioned, it's good to point that out. It is a balancing act. So some people will think it hasn't gone far enough. Some people will think it's going too far, but that's the balance you have to find. So at the end of the day, for the audience, uh, the, the takeaway from your side, what, what did you personally get out of uh, the exercise of um, being providing uh, this new act? Well, I think that um, what I what I feel is that um, uh, the time was right for the European Union to uh, um, to move ahead on this. You know, everybody is expecting there to be proper rules um, for for these for these platforms that are determining so much of our lives today. And so, I think we have a a, a great set of uh, of, of uh, proposals on the table. I think they're going. People are going to see the difference in their daily lives. I, I including hopefully kids. I, I have teenage kids myself. They spend a lot of time on their devices, you know. So um, hopefully they will be um, seeing um, effects on the ground and and, and uh, more help, more ways of flagging, more uh, ways of getting help, um, better understanding their environment, 
ability to make choices, their own choices, informed choices, um, you know, um, ability to police content when there's something seriously going on, um, and an ability to have a serious conversation with the uh, with the platforms when there's something new emerging, because tomorrow there'll be something new that we have not anticipated. That we, but we have a framework and now in the Digital Services Act also to address these emerging factors. So, so I think this is something um, that that I'm I, I think is a great way forward. And and so I'm optimistic that this is a, um, a, a good framework that allows businesses to work well, that meets people's objectives, uh, and that 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 people that gives people the reassurance that this is not completely left um, you know open and unregulated in an area, but at the same time. Not doesn't have the very heavy hand of very excessive rules um, that uh, that some people rightly might be afraid of. Hey, Prabhat, I want to thank you so much for sharing well your insights of the work which the European Commission is doing on getting the this Digital Services Act in play. Uh, so uh, next year we'll see indeed what decisions uh, will be made, what the time frame is, and uh, again. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Fritz. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much.